Hello, welcome to CityWire podcast and joining me today is Timon Neyong. Um, Timon, thank you for joining us today. Um, in your presentation this morning, you talked a lot about trust and how it decreased over the years. Uh, question here is firstly, why this has happened in the first place, but that, secondly, what kind of ramifications this has for businesses and how to set up your companies going forward? Yes, so the, the, the main reason trust has decreased over the past 10 years actually has to do with digital technology um, and the fact that all the information we have to base our decisions on, so uh, whether it's a personal decision or a business decision, um, that it's actually ha we have so much information that it has become harder to assess what is real, what's not real, what is fake, what is false. Um, because all the information in the world is out there, but all the misinformation in the world is out there as well. Um, and there's so much now, there's actually too much information um, that we have a hard time assessing the world around us and making sense of the world around us. Um, and we think, you know, the truth is out there on Google, but do a Google search on vaccinations, global warming, and it's actually more confusing than ever. Mm -hmm. And this actually decreases trust because we don't know who to trust anymore, which fact is a fact. And um, we see, therefore, that trust levels have decreased uh, due to well, the abundance of information. Mm -hmm. Following up on that, how do businesses have to behave as a result? Are there any tools to help them to relate to people better, to uh, convey this trust that is not there anymore? Yeah, so we see that uh, trust has decreased in, in businesses in the business itself, so the company, the brand name, the organization, and it has moved to the people. Um, so let's say you're a company, just random example, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola as a brand is less trusted, but the people representing the brand, that is where the trust is moving to. So you see in people research that people say, well, the brand, the company, don't trust, well, trust it less, but I do trust Margarita, who works for Coca-Cola, uh, and I have a personal relationship with her. And you're here, I know you, uh, we've had a chat. Well, I can see you now, we're in the podcast. Um, so I know I can trust you because I can check if things are really true. Which means for companies that their people are becoming more important. They can't rely on, we're this big brand, we have this legacy, we're you know, this, this household name that everyone knows. That is not, not enough anymore. They really have to invest in people. Uh, because that is where trust is slowly moving to. Um, and therefore, uh, your workforce, what are their people skills? Can they build relationships? Are they trustworthy? So invest more in people and their people skills to enhance trust in your company as a whole. Mm -hmm. Are there any applications or companies out there that are providing services that are actually helping businesses to connect better to their clients or partners, business partners having a better thoughtful relationship? Yeah, so there, there are technological tools out there to build better relationships. I, I gave a few examples in my presentation. One of them is a company called Crystal. Uh, and if you'd like to check them online, their URL is crystalnose.com. And I know you, you know me, crystalnose.com. Um, and it's, it's personality AI. So it's personality artificial intelligence. Uh, and Crystal works as follows. Um, uh, you give Crystal a name. Um, and then it does uh, a search 
uh, on the digital footprint of that person. So all the digital information it can find of that person, sometimes you have to help it a bit and say, this is their LinkedIn, this is their Twitter, gathers all the information, runs an algorithm through it, and then we'll give a personality analysis for business-to-business relationships. So you get a personality report, this is your personality, and this is how you have to sell to that person. This is how you negotiate with this person. If it's your colleague, this is how you do teamwork, or if you're in a conflict. Um, And this is not a 100% solution which replaces human intuition, human emotions, but it's a tool which can help you prepare better for a business meeting. Or if you're in a conflict with someone, you think, oh, how can I do this? Then the algorithm might give you a few advice. Well, if you take this approach, because based on our analysis, you're more this type, they're more that type, and it can help. Now, this is not, well, this is new that it's automatic, but we've done personality assessments for decades already, and, and, and they're quite beneficial. The thing now, it's automatic, and you can do it even with a first-time customer you've never met. You can already be prepared, like you've had them in a few hours assessment before. So it's automatic and and um, uh, it's super fast. Um, so these tools are out there, um, and as I say, use them as a tool and not as the absolute truth. Mm-hmm. So still, human judgment is, in the end, most important. I think the biggest concern here is are we putting people into brackets, because uh, Crystal, I think, is working with 72 personality types, uh, which can be a lot, which can be not so many. Um, Do do you think there is a bit of a danger here to be generalizing too much when dealing with people based on their type? Yes, yes. Um, So, um, of course, nobody wants to be put in a uh, box. Or let's say a filter bubble is also one of those terms. Um, you know, no one wants to put in a bubble, in a box, in a bracket, um, because we all think we're unique and different, and our emotions are different than the others. But the thing is, when you look into research, there are boxes to be made. Uh, the thing is, there are always people, there are always outliers that cannot be put in a box or are different, or there are situations where you know a box doesn't fit our behavior or the situation that we're in. Um, so again, putting people in a box, uh, yeah, we think we're unique, but we're not. Um, so the crystal example just uh, explained uses 72 different personality types, which is quite a lot from a, a psychological point of view, because in some models you only use four different personality types, <laughs> you use 72. I think in the future we might all get our own box. So it won't be 72 different personality profiles, but people do we have in the world? 8 billion at the moment? Are there companies out there that are already actually embracing things like emotional AI or uh, even matching uh, different types of people, different personalities for better results? Can you give any examples? So uh, in my talk gave the example of emotion AI being used by Unilever uh, in their uh, job interviews. So a Unilever, uh, if you apply at Unilever today, all jobs up until middle management globally, so there's a global thing, uh, the first round of job interviews is with a piece of software, so not with a fellow human being, piece of software you sit in front of your phone or your laptop, camera on, microphone on, and you get the same kind of questions you normally get in a job interview, um, but the algorithm is analyzing your answers, and they have the emotion AI running to see with what kind of emotions you're sitting there, and that is taken into account as well because the emotion AI can see, are you confident, are you nervous, are you a positive person? And it can analyze how honest you are 
meaning are you lying, yes or no. Uh, and that is taken into account as well. Um, and this, you know, my first response, and to many people, is very scary. Wait, using that on candidates, that, that is, you know, ethically, you could have a question mark there. But Unilever says, no, it's brilliant because uh, we sped up our hiring process, we're saving money, uh, we got more applicants in because young people are comfortable, you know, having a job interview via a screen. Um, and uh, we programmed the algorithm for diversity. So it's more, we think as human beings, we are uh, objective. But we know for years already that in HR, people tend to hire subconsciously people in their own self-image. So Unilever said, we programmed that out, and the algorithm now has hired the most diverse team of new Unilever employees ever. Um, and we couldn't do that with human to human. So we needed the help of an algorithm to do that. Make it happen. Yeah. And it's just the first round of job interviews. The second round and the third round is still with human beings. So human beings still have the, the end say. Uh, it's not that the algorithm is doing all the work is replacing everyone. It's just the first round. The first screening. Yeah. The first screening. And it can sift, of, because it's an algorithm, it can sift through loads and loads of resumes and they have loads and loads of job interviews that you normally wouldn't be able to do. Well, that sounds great because I think currently in the financial industry there is a big push towards diversity and ESG, ESG can be misinterpreted and abused in a way that is used only for marketing purposes. But those who are actually looking into it seriously, so ESG investing, diversity is a big part of it. So yeah. these kind of technologies or initiatives actually could transform the financial industry in the long run. And the good thing about ESG is that it used to be vagueish, so how do you measure sustainability? But now in the academic world, uh, there are different ways to actually fit sustainability into an Excel sheet. And <laughs> 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 to ever give it numbers and percentages. Mm -hmm. So we can now measure ESG uh, and, not have, and, and not have, for example, a Greenpeace do that, an NGO, um, but actually find uh, you know, a, a, a method to quantify it that we can all agree upon and then base our investment decisions on, for example. Mm -hmm. And interesting when you think about even um, kind of matching personalities and uh, different business partners. Uh, well, already, I know one former fund manager launched an app where you can see if there are any fund managers who are coming to your town. So it's almost like hmm. Tinder for fund selectors. And for now, it doesn't do any personality assessments, but might as well be the next stage. Yes. Um, yes, definitely. Because we know in some cases you want matching personalities, for example, in a help desk environment. Um, uh, Vodafone is using a, a service where uh, in, in Vodafone Germany is using a service where if you call Vodafone with a problem as a, as a customer uh, you get a uh, representative on the phone with a matching personality. So for example if you're direct and to the point straightforward you get someone who will help you in that way. So my phone is broken uh, how can you fix it? Another type of personality it says my phone is broken and therefore uh, my daughter couldn't go to school and I broke my leg and I'm so tired and I have to cry and I, you just need a pat on the back and a shoulder to cry on and the actual problem the phone is broken is actually <laughs> maybe discussed at the variant or not even it's just you know you want somebody to be empathetic and and, and have a conversation about emotions about so then you want someone who can who can relate and if you do that kind of matchmaking in a help desk environment, you see that the, uh, the satisfaction of the caller goes up. So the rate the call, you know, this was a great call, it's great help. And the handling time per call goes down. 
because you have matching personalities. In other business environments, for example, if you have a team who has to, uh, for example, create a new strategy for the future, you don't want similar personality types. You want, and this is the next level of diversity, yes, you want different gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic backgrounds, but you also want diversity in personality types. Because if you all have dominant, um, <laughs> I wanted to say males. No, we already have that. So you have, for example, a dominant people who are used to get their way, uh, who you know, then, I'm gonna try to say this nicely. All right, make it easy. If you have people with the same personality, it doesn't mean you get the great always out. work. Yeah, no, you, you did different. Yeah, if you need a creative solution, a future strategy, uh, you have to solve a problem. Uh, what the research is showing that a, a diverse team of personalities will get a better solution than it's just one personality type in there. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it also speaks well to fund selectors who have to work with teams, and there is quite often like there, there are personalities out there that are bigger than life and then you have a team of analysts and fund selectors often say that they want to ensure that those analysts are not disregarded and there is proper teamwork in place so these kind of things can be also boosted and encouraged via the use of technology and diversity well we did the study CityWire did the study about uh, female fund managers and how much better mixed teams oh, are working yeah. and how much better the risk management is when there are not only men on the team but also women so i think i think it all is yeah the research is abundant free. yeah diverse teams um, male female mix is, is 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 better output in almost all uh, business environments so there's no excuse anymore but then the problem is that you know if you have a hiring manager and he's a 45 year old man um, he has a subconscious bias, bias yes. yeah, uh, to, <laughs> to hire someone maybe a bit younger but then mm -hmm. similar to him uh, and that's where the algorithms can be a tool to help I think there are quite a lot of uh, dystopians when it comes to technology in the investment space um, so how, well, how how come uh, I think I think there is a bit of a fear, again, of being replaced because AI algorithms might be doing, for example, financial calculations better, faster, and then you won't need financial advisors anymore. Um, so with those people, actually, is there anything you can do to remove those fears? Like uh, you mentioned an example of an automatic elevator fear because people used to be afraid of automatic elevators, and, but not anymore. Uh, yes, uh, so I use automatic elevator as a uh, metaphor. When the automatic elevator was introduced, people were afraid to step aboard because it was a small box. They were standing in it by themselves and scared, didn't want to step aboard. And therefore this innovation failed because building owners said, people are afraid of this, we're not gonna buy this automatic elevator. Um, and the reason they succeeded is that they added elements to the automatic elevator that took care of our fears. So uh, put a stop button in, an outside helpline in, uh, added some elevator music, put a mirror in so people were distracted. Uh, so put all these elements in and some good marketing as well. So you could think of, all right, so if, if uh, people in this industry are afraid of the algorithms, is there, for example, an outside helpline? Is there a stop button? Uh, can this, is this then you know, going to make decisions on? Is there some human, uh, do we still have control? 
Uh, is there an outside helpline? Is there someone, if I have a question about this algorithm, is there someone, because that's a big problem, who made this algorithm? Can somebody explain what's happening or is it a black box that we don't know how it's working? So is there still a human connection? Um, can we make it a bit fun? And I know that doesn't sound any business-like, but algorithms are, you know, you just say the word and people already get a bit, hmm, algorithm, scary, don't know, understand. It, it's something that makes a decision that I don't understand. It's made, so uh, maybe use a different word. It sounds simplistic, <laughs> but it sounds simplistic. But just sometimes, just changing. Well, it, it, just an example that was in the news last week: uh, Porsche, the car manufacturer, just launched its first fully electric vehicle. They had hybrids, now it's fully electric. Um, I, I don't know the name, but they added turbo to uh, the car, so it's the Porsche blah blah turbo. Now, a turbo is an, an, a part of an, a gasoline engine. So an electric engine doesn't have a turbocharger to it. But they added that, uh, because if you see turbo, it has the emotional layer. Ah, yes, this is the old days, you know, it, it doesn't have anything to do with electricity. <laughs> a turbo engine on an electric motor. But it's, it's an emotional layer. So we launched this electric car, but we put this old word on there, turbo. And it connects the old and the new. And I think that's a brilliant example of just using language to get people like old Porsche petrol engine lovers into a fully electric vehicle. Put turbo on it and people feel, oh yeah, this is like the old Porsche turbo. Um, so I think, and I don't have a solution for uh, the industry we're talking about, what that word could be. Uh, but that is a challenge that, that, that people have to think about. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Timon, for joining us today. It was wonderful. Thank you very much.